Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So it was about a year ago that my brother Brian and I were putting together some pretty exciting plans. We've, we'd been wanting for years to take our boys to the state boys basketball tournament here in Minnesota. Um, to do that uh, for them, what um, our dad did for us when we were younger. And it was going to be the perfect year to do it because my oldest was a senior, his oldest was a junior. You add a sophomore, a freshman, and, and two eighth grade boys into the mix. It was going to be a great weekend of watching lots and lots of basketball. But then all of that suddenly changed. It was just, a, boy, just a few short days later, and we were canceling all of our plans because of the COVID-19 crisis, the cancellation of the State Boys Basketball Tournament. And who would have thought here a year later uh, we'd be where we are? Life is, is pretty unpredictable. More recently here at Emmanuel, we've had even more somber um, experiences of just how unpredictable life can be. The same day that we heard Joanne Olson was entering hospice care, we got the news of Irma Quincer's death. And as we were planning for Irma's funeral service, we got the news that Joanne suddenly passed away, just in the blink of an eye. And we have several other Emmanuelites facing challenges in, in their health in um, sudden ways as well, right? Life, we know, is always unpredictable, like basketball games. But there are sometimes these moments of life and death that can simply hammer us with that sudden, sobering reality of how fragile life really is. And truthfully, the unpredictability of life is very frustrating. And I think one of the ways that we cope with that frustration is to try to control and predict as much of our lives as we can. Down through the centuries, humans have tried to remove as many mysteries about the future as possible. We have billions of dollars of weather predicting equipment scattered throughout the countryside to tell us how warm it will be tomorrow, how likely it is it will, it will rain or snow. And we hope that same equipment will let us know when severe weather is approaching to threaten our lives and our property. Birth used to be the time when we found out whether our child was a boy or a girl, as well as when we learned about birth defects or other health challenges facing our kids. But now we have extensive prenatal tests that provide all kinds of data about our kids months and months before birth. Remember when you used to have to answer the phone to know who it was that was calling you? I barely remember that. But you certainly don't have to do that anymore. Now our phones all have caller ID. They tell us who's on the line long before we even think about saying hello. A popular conversation with me lately usually begins with the question, Pastor, when do you think church will get back to normal? And I usually have some highly financed answer that's just a fancy way of saying I'm not really sure 
Because truthfully, a lot of our future predicting is just sort of wildly punching in the dark. The truth is there is so much about our future that we obviously have absolutely no idea about. It is these mysteries that can keep us up at night, keep us busily biting at our nails, keep us consumed with worry and anxiety. Now, as usual, God's Word has something to say about these mysterious, anxiety-filled lives of ours. I want you to listen carefully as I read today from Numbers chapter 21, 4 through 9. From Mount Hor they set out by way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, But the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole, And whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Now, I will be the first to admit that this Old Testament story from Numbers 21 is an odd story. No doubt about it. But I think it's a story about people consumed with worry about their future. They have been wandering in the wilderness now for 40 years because their parents weren't sure they could live in the land that God promised them. There were too many powerful-looking people in that land. God had promised them the land, but for them, the promise wasn't enough. And so God made them wander for 40 years, allowing only their children and grandchildren to enter the land that he promised them. As we read their story in Numbers 21, the 40 years of wandering has nearly passed. Each day of those 40 years, God had provided manna, this bread-like substance that just appeared on the ground, enough for them to gather and eat for the day. A double portion on Friday, so they wouldn't have to work on Saturday, the Sabbath. And when they were thirsty, God provided that too, even from stones as necessary. Now, God didn't provide enough food and water for them to gather up a week's worth or a month's worth or a year's worth so they could find hope for the future in what they gathered with their own hands. God only provided his promise to sustain them day by day. But in our reading today, as the promised land is growing nearer and nearer, they grow more and more nervous about their future. And even pine, if you can imagine, for their enslaved past. To them, the food they've eaten these years in the desert has been so lousy, they might as well have had nothing. And the future toward which they're walking is so lousy 
they might as well head back to Egypt. They're so mortified about the mystery of their future that they're willing to become slaves in Egypt again because at least they know what that's like. And so God, in God's infinite wisdom, teaches them a lesson about the uncertainty of their future. He sends poisonous snakes among them, and some of them are bit and die. And they thought they were going to starve to death. I bet they didn't see that one coming. They immediately realized their sin. They had doubted God's ability to provide for them, to nourish them, to sustain them, and to provide for them in the land that he had promised them. And they came to Moses and asked for help. And God heard their plea, and he commanded Moses to craft a serpent of bronze and put it on a pole and have anyone who was bitten look at it, and they lived. They looked not only to the pole, but to the God of the past, present, and future who was behind that pole, and they lived. They still didn't know much about what their future held, but when they gazed on that bronze serpent, they knew who held their future. 1,200 years later, Jesus recalls this story in a conversation with Nicodemus, a leader in the church who also seems nervous about the future. Jesus' ministry is just beginning here, but Nicodemus can sense that change is in the air, and he wants to be in on the ground floor of what Jesus is doing. But Jesus compares his ministry to that of the bronze serpent way back in Moses' day. Listen to these words from John chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Jesus said, And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have, believed, they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Just think about those words. Think about them in the context of an uncertain future. It is Jesus saying to all who will listen, come to me, see me lifted up on the cross, and see your certain future. Gaze on the Son of Man, lifted high on the cross, and see your future. But the problem is that these words actually seem to say very little about my future, say, this afternoon or next week. They say very little about my job security, about the housing market, turbulence and unrest in Washington, D.C., unrest during Derek Chauvin's trial, 
and every other worry that can keep us up at night in this lifetime. In Moses' day, God provided a serpent they could gaze on and live should they be bitten by snakes. But I bet a lot of the people were thinking, why doesn't God just get rid of the snakes? In Jesus' day, when he promised everlasting life to those who believed in him, Nicodemus is probably standing there thinking, how about you just get rid of our Roman occupiers and make Israel a great nation again? But these are fleeting treasures, and God always wants us to gaze at the eternal ones. The truth is we know very little about what our future holds, except we who trust in him know how our story ends. We who trust in Christ know that in a hundred years we will be in the arms of our Lord, enjoying the future he has planned for us since before we were even born. And everything else that kept us up at night won't matter anymore. But there are still those who clamor and kick and scream and beat each other up, competing over the fleeting treasures of this life. These are the people of whom Jesus speaks in John 3, as those who prefer darkness over light. And all of us are guilty of making the unimportant things more important than they really are at times. But with the promise of everlasting life, Jesus calls us to something new. To fix our eyes on the greater prize, to keep our vision on the horizons of life where our true future resides. Now I will say that the work of this lifetime is important. There are relationships to live in, there is work to do, there is life to sustain, generosity to foster, justice and peace to pursue, love to give and share. There are also games to play and tasks to do, and we ought to do them with zeal and ambition and determination. We ought to be financially savvy and responsible and plan for the future, well and good, right? But let us never forget that we are but blips, blips on the radar screen of life. And yet we are loved and cherished by this one who was and is and always will be. We have been sought and found by the creator of the universe who has done more than lifted up a bronze serpent in the wilderness. He has lifted up his one and only son who died on the cross in order to secure our future with him. For the next few days, weeks, and years, We know very little about what our future holds. But by God, we know who holds our future. Amen.